Hi everyone, I hope you missed me. I took a little break from podcasting because I was cooking and delivering the most precious baby girl ever, my lovely daughter, Alegria. Being a mom is tough, especially at the beginning, but it is the most beautiful feeling in the world. I really feel blessed. Now I'm back with more cool interviews and insights for Dubai Fashion News. Let's start the melody and we start with the first episode of this new season of Dubai Fashion News, the podcast. Welcome to Dubai Fashion News, the podcast where you can get to know everything about the fashion industry. Here we will interview fashion designers, influencers, models, photographers, shop owners, you name it. And what for? To learn their insights, their stories and the lessons they learn along the way. I'm your host, Araceli Gallego, and in today's Dubai Fashion News podcast, we have with us Mrs. Mora Morris. She is a fashion consultant and speaker at the College of Fashion and Design in Dubai. There, she will be teaching in May a course called How to Build Your Fashion Brand. So, if you are a designer or want to start a fashion business and are unsure where to start and what to do, this episode is just perfect for you. Also, you can join Mora in her two-day masterclass as CFT. She has helped many fashion startups to get off on the right foot. Stay put, don't go anywhere. The interview starts right now. Hi, Mora. Hi, Araceli. How are you? I'm very good. I'm very happy to have you today with us in Dubai Fashion News Podcast. I know you're Thank coming you. very soon to Dubai. Is that correct? It is indeed. I am coming on May 11th and 12th and very much looking forward to it. There is a lot of talent coming out of Dubai at the moment in the start of fashion scene, so I'm looking forward to meeting everybody. That's very true. And tell me, you're coming to deliver a very soft after masterclass called How to Build Your Fashion Brand. That's that's correct. Oh, yes, God. indeed. We want to know everything about what we can learn in this two days masterclass. Okay, no problem. Be prepared is what I'll say. There is a lot involved and uh, be prepared to work, but it is invaluable. <laughs> what are so, we going to be learning with you? Yes, exactly. The uh, best way I suppose to describe it is it is an intensive two-day course which brings you through all of the steps and processes that you need to learn how to successfully build and develop a fashion brand. We go through business planning, budgets and financials, brand development, range planning, sample development, mass production, quality control, what buyers want, branding and marketing, pricing structures and everything in between. As you can see, it's very thorough. So everybody needs to come prepared to work, but it really is a fantastic, fantastic course. It's like a crash course, A to Z of what you will go through and the, all of the processes involved. Wow, yeah, we definitely need to be uh, taking vitamins. Huh? It's very intense. It's a lot of content. A lot of content. Exactly. Well, I mean, the aim really is that at the end of the two days, each participant has both the knowledge and the practical skills to implement what they have learned into their business development planning and the day-to-day -day running of their business. So it's full on, yes, but it is absolutely invaluable. Wow. Let me ask you something. As a fashion consultant, when do most of the designers look for your advice? When they are starting or when they are already in trouble? 
Uh, well, a little bit of both, um, but I suppose traditionally it was when people had already tried to do a loan, ended up wasting a lot of time and money, and then decided it was time to get the help. But I have to say, in recent times, there's certainly a higher percentage of those at the very early stages, realizing how beneficial it is to get the help right at the beginning of the startup process. You know, it's a smart move and one that really benefits the business further down the road. So it's a win-win. Yeah, so from the beginning to have the proper guidance and don't waste your time. Don't Absolutely. Waste money, just go straight Absolutely. to it. <laughs> um, exactly. You've been in business over 15 years. Why do you think there is still such a gap in the teachings of the fashion schools between creativity and business? Why are designers are super creative, but they are lacking the business education to make profitable business out of their creativity? This is so long Absolutely. happening. This has been in the talk for oh. so many years. How come the, the fashion schools are not addressing? Oh, ex a really brilliant question. This is one that comes up an awful lot and we talk about a lot here. Uh, to answer your question, I honestly don't know why this is still the case. I don't know why they haven't addressed it, you know, more than what is happening at the moment. I guess I just want to concentrate on the design process, but it really is such a shame. I mean, a dual learning process covering both the design and the operational business elements would prepare students so much better for the realities that they're facing when they come out of college, when they graduate. You know, inevitably, most design students end up being self-employed and trying to create their own collections and businesses, yet they have absolutely no training for it. It's absolutely crazy. And people still wonder why there is such a high failure rate in the fashion industry. I mean, this is one of the main problems. Very true. Yeah, definitely. And um, um, so, I mean, how did you come up with the conclusion, with the idea of actually, okay, let's try to help um, fashion designers that are struggling. Let's put a course instead of only doing consulting, because you are also doing consulting. How, how, did, you, how did you come about? That's correct. I mean, um, Really, I suppose the reason I started the Masterclass series originally was because we were getting so many inquiries from those wanting to set up a clothing range or a fashion business, and they were struggling to find the specific help. You know, there is generic help out there for startups, but the fashion industry is so specific that, you know, aside from the generic marketing and a little bit of financial planning and stuff, it's just not enough for them. So, you know, some of these were recent graduates. Some of them had no design training, uh, but had the same shoes, you know, as those who were graduating, you know, these, and it was the same problems coming from all corners of the world. It wasn't just in Europe or in the Middle East or, you know, in Mm -hmm. one specific place. It was Mm -hmm. all of the same issues coming from everywhere. And I mean, we like, how do I start? How much will it cost? Where can I find reliable manufacturers? I can design clothes, but I don't know anything about running a business. These were all of the same things that were coming up. So I actually graduated from design college many years ago now. And um, I had similar issues with trying to get the advice that I needed to start my first business. Mm. And I really thought, Surely things must have changed since then. But when my team and I started looking into this, to point these people in the right direction, we found the same gaping hole. You know, the only support that was available was extremely expensive and it wasn't really targeted to startups, which is just not practical for those at the early stages. So we put our heads together, 
we spent six months coming up with a program that would cover all of the essentials in a cost-effective way. And that's when the Masterclass series was born, really. And shortly after, we added a startup mentoring program for no those way. who want kind of individual one-on-one help. And that is also a startup cost-effective um, program that we run, especially especially for early stage businesses also. That's great. So, it's very practical you know, then. Everything is something that you experience yourself. And you, mm-hmm. you went through. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you do learn from your mistakes and oh. you learn from where the, you know, where the issues were when you were starting out. You know, it doesn't matter. They still carry through for somebody else, you know. And, you know, all of the success that you have from that is garnered from, you know, the learning process. So it is good to have some guidance on all of that side of it. You know, the harsh reality you know, really is that creativity can only truly be celebrated and successful when business around it is run correctly. You know, people need to be educated in both. This is tough enough without starting out blindly. And this is just a huge problem, which I really think should be addressed by colleges and the various institutions. But some are beginning to address these issues, to be fair. But I just hope it continues and that it grows because there's substantial you know, substantial issues surrounding this. Totally. I agree 100% with you. <laughs> so you. You, you, you walk designers from the early stages to success. Let's do the walk virtually together now, following kind of sure. like a chronological order. What is the first thing designers need to do if they want to start a successful fashion brand? What is the first thing they should do? Um, well, really, there are two things that need to be worked on simultaneously, mm-hmm. planning your business and planning your product range. So business plan is definitely a must. This will change about 100 times during the development process and another 100 times during the first 12 months of trading. But it is essential to see your plans and your goals and especially your financials in black and white. So the business plan itself will cover your brand identity, your market research, your competitive analysis, your company setup, your legalities, and most importantly, something that every creative loves financial planning (laughs) of course we love it (laughs) yeah so um no all jokes aside it is actually the most important thing that you can do at this early stage and i know it doesn't come naturally to a lot of creative people but actually you can learn it okay so there is hope for us exactly exactly i mean Fantastic plans are all well and good, but if you haven't planned for the costs involved, then the reality is you're in trouble before you even get started. Mm -hmm. You know, seeing the estimations of the costs involved, you know, it's a great way to see if it's realistic for you to go this path or if you need more time to get the financial side of it together. Mm -hmm. There's no point in kind of, you know, leaving your job and delving into this new business and then in four months time going oh my god I'm out of money and I don't you know what am I going to do so you do have to be realistic about it you know even the most creative of people you know you have to you have to get your head around that part of it because it's an essential it's an Mm -hmm. essential part of the business running so you know while all of this is going on then of course you need to be analyzing your collection planning your product range sourcing suppliers and manufacturing partners so that you can start getting costs and lead times on product development, sample development, and bulk production. 
you know, after that, then you're after the sample development, you'll need to start thinking about branding and marketing, how you're going to showcase and sell your collection, right. how to get in touch with the buyers, how to mm-hmm. fund the bulk production and how to manage the logistics and distribution and so on. It's really never ending. Well, yep, <laughs> very true. <laughs> yes, okay. exactly. But, you know, I suppose what, like one piece of advice I would give those starting out is, the time you have to develop your brand and business before you begin trading mm-hmm. is absolutely vital to the longevity of your business. So don't be in a rush to get your products out there before you have all of your development completed. You know, it's so tempting at the, when you're starting something and with the excitement that's involved in it to try to get your products out, to see what people think and all of that. Yeah. But really, this will be the only time in your business that you will have the luxury of time okay. from the minute you launch or show to buyers or whatever you know route you take mm-hmm. you'll be in a constant state of racing against the fashion and retail calendars with twice yearly collections at the very least or you're going to the calendar of seasons or whatever so i really think you know slow it down use the time wisely and do things properly and i absolutely guarantee you it will be beneficial Oh, great. One question. Do, do you think it would be the same for accessories? For example, if they're, if they're doing bags? Yes, I do. Yeah. You, I mean, the same, the same things apply across whether it's footwear, accessories, you know, clothing, whatever it is in the fashion and lifestyle kind of world. You know, all of the planning and the development really is quite similar. The only difference, I suppose, would be if you're, are you manufacturing your own products or are you buying them in? Mm-hmm. You know, they would be the two main differences. But generally speaking, no matter what type of business it is, you know, if you have the luxury of the development time, which everybody does in some shape or form, they do have a certain amount of time before the business is launched. Mm-hmm. You know, that is the time that is just, it's so crucial to getting things right and of course you're not going to go know everything but find the help that you need and try to kind of get as much information because after that you're just running against the clock all of the time you know you're never going to have time to sit down and do a six-week business plan ever again so use the time that you have now to do it you know very true i agree with you totally if for example we're needing funding but we're still a project and we are not a running business how can we attract investors and convince them to bet for our brand we still didn't start it as yet so how can we convince them um, well, this is a difficult one for brands, Arcelli. Um, Really, the only chance you would have is to have a considerable business plan with excellent financial planning done. It's extremely difficult to secure funding mm-hmm. at any stage of a project, not to mind the beginning of it. So your development and your planning would have to be excellent and show really strong potential to even be considered you know, often the early stages are self-funded or funded by business or in the owner, you know, perhaps a close friend or a family member or somebody who who can support it, you know, mm-hmm. and understands what the owner is trying to do. Yeah. 
friends, fools and family, right? <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. I mean, it's a difficult one for both sides, really. So, the early stages, obviously, of building a brand, that's the time when the companies need the most help. Yeah. But then from the investor's point of view, unless they're seeing amazing potential, it's very difficult for them to take a bet on something that has no trading figures. Yeah. And growth strategies are all hypothetical at this stage also. Yeah. So when would be the best time to approach investors? Well, my advice really, I suppose, generally speaking, the best time to approach them is when you're showing a strong trading pattern, you know, and growth is no longer hypothetical. Mm -hmm. That's the ideal situation. But if you have to, which is often the case, if you do have to try to get funding at an earlier stage, my advice would be to try to seek an investor who understands the industry and especially the long development times that fashion brands traditionally need. Yeah. You know, so maybe somebody with industry contacts, somebody who has already invested in, in a fashion brand of some description and maybe somebody who has business experience that can help in the areas that you struggle with. You know, you kind of need somebody who actually understands what you're trying to do, what the industry is about, and that they can actually give it the development time that yeah. it needs because it is longer than the majority of other businesses. Very true. Also, for example, when you think of bringing partners to the company, it's also very tricky because also investors, the same thing. At the end, you are losing power. You're losing control over uh -huh. the brand. Um, you know, a new situation may arise when, Creativity is geared to more commercial designs, maybe because the financial partner needs to make sure there is return on investment or ROI. How the brand can keep its true spirit if something like this will happen? How can we keep true to ourselves if we need the money actually to keep on going? Yeah, okay. Um, well, firstly, yes, having partners is extremely tricky. As I mentioned previously, maybe try to partner with somebody who can bring something to the company. Mm -hmm. Maybe their strengths are in finance, yours are not. That would be a good partnership, perhaps. Mm -hmm. yeah, or, you know, you really other. have to be so careful with partnerships. You can never know for sure, of course, if one will work or over another. But I suppose if you have a thorough agreement drawn up as to how much influence they have in the decision-making process and what areas they're allowed to contribute, then that could alleviate some strife further down the road. That would be one way that you could, you know, alleviate some of the problems that could come. We're asking about the keeping, how, how can a brand keep its true spirit right. if something like this is happening when the financial partners yeah. are looking for a return on investment? So I think really, you know, keeping the brand identity versus trying to deliver an ROI for financial partners, it's a constant battle. Every product-driven business goes through this. But actually, in my opinion, it comes down to mutual respect. I think the creative partner must appreciate that the financial partner is not deliberately trying to curtail their creativity If they can't keep it within budget, there will be no business or vehicle in which any part of their work can be displayed or sold. So they have to understand it from that point of view. Mm. And then the financial partner must understand that there is a line that can't be crossed in the creative process before a brand identity and the spirit of the brand will be irrevocably damaged. And then consumers will no longer have any faith in it. Therefore, they won't support it. And therefore, there will be no brand You know, yeah. it's just a tricky place to get to. But yes. if everybody is working towards the greater good of the brand, then things do tend to find a way of working out. Yeah. 
but it is a tricky situation with partnerships, be it financial or otherwise. True, very true, because in a way we need each other. Well, in a way, absolutely, sure one other. can't work without the other, for yeah. sure. But then we will, uh, do you recommend to look for partners that kind of complement each other rather than be both very strong yeah. in one particular Yeah, if you do have to go area. that way, exactly. Try to get somebody who complements your skill set or who brings something new to the business that you don't have expertise in. Um, let me ask you something about sourcing and manufacturing. I know you're really strong sure. in this. You have tons of experience. What time sure. in the process do you recommend to start producing? Once we have all the rest figured it out or before? When should we start the sampling process? Okay, so product development really is the first thing before you even produce a sample. So at a similar time to when you're kind of doing your business plan and setting up your financials and all of that, you will need to start thinking about the product development side of it because you will need it from a cost point of view anyway. Mm -hmm. So you will have to start range planning, do your collection analysis, fabric sourcing, tech packs, then you move on to sample development, then you're selling to the buyers from the samples and only then will you go on to bulk production. Okay. So generally speaking, uh, if you're going through a stockist, you know, route to market, mm -hmm. the only when the orders are in or the plans and the budgets have been allocated and all of that, that you're ready to produce. So that's when you would do the mass production. Okay. Or alternatively, if you're a B2C company, say if you have your own website, um, only when your budget and your financials have all been allocated, that's the time then to start bulk producing. Yeah. But for example, when you're starting, because you're talking about mass production, maybe you're not such a bigger scale. You mm -hmm. are starting smaller. You want to, you know, be conservative with your money. Mm -hmm. So how, how can you actually balance it? The fact that, okay, I want to be out there, but then my cost is higher when I'm doing less amount. Um, yeah. Maybe it also happens in, in China. Uh, many mm -hmm. manufacturers will ask you for minimum order quantities when you're actually ordering with them. How can we balance it? Yeah, very difficult at the beginning because obviously minimum quantities are one of the major issues that yeah. you know startups and smaller brands face. But there are production partners out there who will help and they will produce smaller quantities. Generally speaking, there is a surcharge, but that is something that you will just have to absorb if you feel that the brand will grow maybe next season or the season after, mm -hmm. and it will get to the minimum quantities that they want. Then you can price your, your product accordingly, or you just add in that surcharge to your pricing structure. It really depends on the product. That's very generally speaking, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. So... For example, to save dirhams, dollars, euros, or whatever currency we're working on, and disappointments, mm -hmm. how should we plan the collection? What do we need to take into account? Potential surcharges, for example, from these companies. What else do we need to have in mind? Okay, well, how to plan it, really you should plan as meticulously as possible. You know, your fabric source, sourcing, the range planning, collection analysis, this is where you will ensure your money has been spent wisely. Mm -hmm. So, for example, are you going to use some of the same fabric or trims across the collection? Is it going to become a signature 
you know, trim or button or something like that that you use, that's a way that you can bulk buy that particular trim and use it, you know, wisely across the entire collection. But obviously that only works for certain things. You know, you need to be quite ruthless, actually, with your final selection also. In the ideal world, you would produce twice or three times the amount of samples that you would need to show. And then once everything is sampled, you'd see how it looks, how it fits, how it feels. And then you would make your final selection to either sell directly or to, you know, show to the buyers at, you know, in a showroom or something. But in the real world, unfortunately, (laughs) this is not financially feasible for startups usually, which means you have to do the reverse and plan everything before sampling the product and buying the fabrics. Mm -hmm. So that really comes in. We actually go into a lot of detail in this in the masterclass. Really, you have to be quite clever about how you're buying your fabrics, how you're pricing your product, you know, what way you're using your fabrics. Are you actually going to get a couple of different pattern pieces out of one meter of fabric if, you know, Mm -hmm. if you can place it that way? It really depends on the type of product you're working with. But there are clever ways that you can, you know, you can work around this to, to make sure that you're you're not over overpricing things. Mm-hmm. What would be the key to go ahead with one supplier or one manufacturer or another? So from a manufacturing point of view, there are lots of considerations really to take into account. But I suppose first and foremost, try to go and visit them or at at least get a very good recommendation from somebody in the industry or somebody who has used them previously. Mm. You know, reliability is evident really from the beginning. So if you can, and if you do have the opportunity to go and visit them, or you can hire somebody to go and visit them, you know, whatever works, then that would be key really, because there's nothing, you know, better than actually seeing how the manufacturing facility is operated you know are they organized are they ethical are they prompt you know what has the communication been like you know if you're if you're still a little bit unsure after you visit or after you've had substantial communication you know you could you know maybe get a couple of test samples done there see what how they have kind of operate with the the sample side of things and if the communication is very good then that's quite a good indicator that they will be okay to deal with in in, you know in the future but like really from startup point of view you kind of have to take the plunge at some stage so obviously you need to do your due diligence on everybody and try to get as much information as you can but at some point you will have to take a chance on some manufacturer you know and often you go with your gut as well you know from communication with them or from recommendations what the general situation is but manufacturing is extremely tricky mm-hmm. and it's never straightforward so if people my advice really would be if people have no experience try to get help because it really really becomes a very costly mistake if you get anything wrong in in this side of it you know yeah also i'm um, like for example when you're sharing your your designs with a supplier this is a question mm-hmm. that i'm sure many many designers ask you how can they protect mm-hmm. themselves when you you need to send them the designs to get the quote of the samples even just to start working with them and then what mm-hmm. if they after that they start using them without your consent how can they be protected when is it um, yeah, this is a massive problem. 
you know, a massive problem in the industry um, and one that isn't really addressed properly. Like from uh, the manufacturing point of view, you have certain things that you can do. So you can request that your production partner does not show your designs to any other designers. You know, that will protect protect yourself further. Generally speaking, you'd use a confidentiality agreement. You you could get it drawn up, put in whatever specifics you want into this. Um, this is completely applicable here. You would send it to them, ask for them to sign it, read it, you know, add whatever they need to add to it themselves. Like most manufacturers are quite good with that, you know, especially in maybe the accessible luxury and the luxury markets. They are very used of this yeah you know this kind of situation so you wouldn't have too much of an issue with that with regards then to kind of copyrights and trademarks just because of the nature of the business and the fast pace that it works at it's very very difficult to protect every single design that you come up with if you're putting it out there into the workplace because often you know you're most people you know who are designing there are elements coming from maybe other designs or you know from yeah. past collections and you know or different eras of fashion that people are are inspired by so it's very difficult to make something completely your own mm-hmm. so unless your product is very revolutionary and you know is extremely unusual then it is worth spending the money mm-hmm. you know to to trademark your design but it's very costly you know if you have a collection with 33 pieces in it or 35 pieces to have to trademark every single one of those and by the time the trademark comes through the collection is in stores it's almost time for the next collection to be delivered you know true what about a print if it's a print that you you do yourself yeah you could do that you could do that if you had some you you could uh for a lot of people have kind of specific prints that they would get made exclusively for them and you would buy the rights to that off the print designer so you would have that protection that that is exclusively yours and then you could do some further protection on that for sure and make sure you trademark your logo and your business name because really it's the logos that become a big issue because it is quite nearly impossible to protect everything you know design wise so at least if you're trademarking your logo you know you have something yeah very true very true another question when manufacturing overseas with countries like china malaysia india Mm-hmm. How can you control what is being manufactured in the distance? Do you need to have someone all the time in the factory? Or we're talking now when you're already mass producing for sampling. Do you want to okay. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> Send anybody. Well, but if you're already mass producing with them. Well, generally speaking, visit them or hire somebody to go there for you. When you're mass producing, you will have quality control, you know, that you'll have to take care of and all of that. You can get outside help with all of that. You know, you can hire people to go and visit the factories at certain stages of the production process. So that's generally how it works. You wouldn't have to be there all of the time yourself, you know, but you would have to have somebody keeping an eye on operations for absolute sure. You want to protect yourself, make sure that everything's going smoothly. At the end of the day, you are the one investing. In exactly, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's your money, it's your business, it's your baby, and nobody will care about it more than you do. Very true. I have another question, which I think is the million-dollar question, really, like price. <laughs> how, sure. how should we price our designs? Like, should we take as base the cost of producing, shipping, blah, 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 all these things that we can add? Or based uh-huh. on the level of the market where we want to position our products? Or do we need to know both and then 
work out what would be, you know, the... Okay, yeah, no, a good, a good question. And this is something that loads of startups struggle with. They have no idea where to even go with a pricing structure or how to even get there. Um, generally speaking, there is a pricing structure that's followed by the industry and margins that are preferred. But this is very product dependent. So we go into this again um, in the masterclass as well and you know showing people how to how to structure their margins and all of that the cost of producing is where you should calculate rather than at the market level so it's generally speaking the cost of producing is where you start working you know working your uh, margins from uh, rather than kind of saying okay this is a luxury product it needs to be such an amount like Generally speaking, the cost of producing naturally leads a product into the into its market anyway. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, so even from the luxury sector, they're always trying to get you know the cost of production down because it's actually often it's kind of almost overpriced even in that sector. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. so you just have to be you have to be very careful with it. You know, and it is product dependent. It, like some products can handle more, and some products can't. It's as simple as that. You just have to make sure that your cost of production is allowing you to position your product in the right market. Mm -hmm. That's, I suppose, the holy grail. And this will come from your sourcing and your arrange planning stage. So when you are planning your collections, you will have to make sure that all the raw materials and the cost of labor all, you know, tally up to ensure that that whole cost is allowing you to get your margins and to position the product in the market that it's supposed to be in, yeah. your target market. Yeah. Some some designers tend to overestimate their efforts and maybe what they're doing is not such great uh, innovation or quality. Some others mm -hmm. tend to do just the opposite and, you know, they, try, they, they, they end up being cheap even if what they're doing is really, really amazing and cool. How can we know that we are doing it right? You think we should go with the gut feeling or we just... Check you would really want to be using your pricing structures and your margins in that because if something is costing you X amount to produce yeah. and you're selling it too cheaply, then you're not getting your margins at all in that. So if you're not following a structure, then you are certainly going to be selling your product way too cheap, you know? Mm -hmm. Do you think we should factor the design factor in it, you know, like... Should we add, like, okay, this is the cost for me to design this product kind of a thing? Well, that will come under the labor costs as well. So that all comes into your cost of production. So when you're actually costing up a product, there's a whole, you know, complicated thing behind it. But when you're costing up your product, you would put in your labor costs and all of that into it. I want to ask you about branding because I know you really know a lot about branding. <laughs> because uh, it's no so worries. important. You may have a great product and a terrible branding and you're doomed. You, you will not be able to sell. How can we make sure our brand stands out in such a saturated industry as it is fashion right now? Well, it's all about immersive branding now, really immersing your product into imagery that is lifestyle oriented. That's basically what it's all about. Every market is completely saturated now. So you have to stay authentic to the brand identity, you know, to have any chance of impacting your potential customer. So you have That's to start from the lifestyle and then see that lifestyle and start thinking about the products that would fit into that lifestyle? Exactly, exactly. I mean, that's what makes the brand more appealing than the next at the moment. I mean, the 
digital marketing and marketing in general has just gone down that route. It's completely different to what traditional PR marketing used to be and nowhere more so than the fashion industry. Look at Instagram or, you know, even the print ads that are out there at the moment. There's a community spirit kind of or a community kind of a based imagery being used in an awful lot of them you know if it's a summer dress it's like a girl at a festival or it's not just a girl standing on her own beside a tree you know it's kind of immersed into what people want their lives to be so I suppose there's an aspirational kind of element as well going into the marketing and branding that's happening at the moment so it's a combination really of those and that's really what makes one brand more appealing than the next but Mm -hmm. Ultimately, you just have to stay true to your brand identity and be authentic. People can see a mile away if you're, you know, just spinning something for the sake of marketing. Right. Very true. That's something we feel. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And you identify with something, you know, if something rings true and genuine, then of course you're going to have like a more favorable reaction to it. So it's the exact same as branding. That's what, that's what it's all about. True. I want to ask you also about buyers because they seem (laughs) to be magical beings that they hide in the dark. Everyone wants to meet them. At the fair, and this is the million dollar question. <laughs> how can we reach buyers? How can we actually get in touch with them and you know have a chance to show their products and, and, and start a conversation? Okay, well, really, the, the reason that nobody can ever seem to kind of get to buyers is you have to remember they are extremely busy people. Mm-hmm. You know, they have thousands of brands trying to get their attention. Yep. There's constant lookbooks. They've constant, you know, phone calls, constantly people coming up to them trying to get their attention. So, like, really, it's kind of trial and error. It depends on, the again, the type of product, you know, the type of store you're trying to target or whatever it is. But really, the, the best advice is just you have to be professional, go through the right channels for your particular product, you know, showrooms, agents, make sure your lookbook is very strong and that it's in keeping with your brand identity. And most importantly, I suppose, send in your lookbooks on time Mm -hmm. and make sure you follow up. Because often, you know, especially with kind of startups and things, I think sometimes they get very disillusioned when maybe a couple of buyers, uh, you know, haven't got back to them or whatever, you know, you have to follow up. It's, this is your brand, you know, it's just one of a thousand that they've got in that season. So you have to think of it from their point of view. What are they looking for? What do they want? Like they want new products. They want a good price point. They want a good retail margin is all of the things you want for your business in a different way you know yeah so how can we negotiate with them what should we consider like for sure the shop that we are aiming uh has to be aligned with what we are selling and what does that we need to do actually to 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 try to you know make the buyer see the value that we can bring to their to their shops well, I suppose like there are lots of lots of different things really that go go into this side of it. But I mean, a few things that are quite important, you know, when you're negotiating with buyers as well. Like obviously, like you said, you have to make sure that the store is where your product should be. I mean, it is aimed at. 
So that's a huge thing. If your if your product is in the wrong store, then and if yeah. it doesn't have the right demographic coming through the door, then, then it's not going ball. to sell. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And like also just from a kind of an ordering point of view, if you are lucky enough to get and you will, you know, with time, you know, it always takes a lot of rejection on these side of things before somebody takes a chance on your brand. But if it's strong enough, you will get there. And one thing that you know comes up time and time again as well is you have to consider their terms and conditions as well particularly mm-hmm. for payment so for example if you had uh, if you were so excited you've got a big order from a store um for your brand you're like delighted everything is going great and then you see maybe at the bottom of their um of their confirmation that they don't pay for 90 days right so you know, nobody ever really pays on time. So you have to, you know, allow for that also. And maybe if they have a stipulation that they don't pay a deposit on the order. So often you would, there might be a setup that stores would pay 30% on order and maybe remaining on delivery or something like that. Mm -hmm. Every store will have their own, their own individual ones. But um, just using that as an example, I mean, you also have to fund your production. So mm-hmm. at this point, you have you have sold a collection to them based on samples. So how are you going to fund that production if you're not getting a 30% deposit from them? Mm-hmm. And if they're not paying you for 90 to 120 days after the order, you know, what are you going to do? Are they a good enough stockist to take that financial risk for? And secondly, can you fund it somehow? Yeah without this payment right they're like re- and they really are kind of make and break often for for younger companies too because you might be delighted to get an order but actually they might not be the stockist for you because you are actually going to physically harm the company by producing this yeah this collection for them so you have to weigh it up you know if it's a very reputable stockist then of course you're going to try move heaven and earth to try to get this done and no matter what their terms are really but you know within reason you have to be you know kind of considered i suppose about it also oh wow this is very interesting there's a lot of things we have to take into account definitely yes (laughs) this this is the joys of the fashion industry you have to be uh, all things at all times (laughs) so now for example we have the collection ready to mambo we are happy with our branding how can we market our products you spoke before mm-hmm. you mentioned uh, social media like how can we make sure we we get the exposure in the right market okay um look i suppose it boils down to making sure your product is priced right mm-hmm. it's going to the through the right sales channels and is going to the right market so kind of what we've been speaking about there earlier, you know, your marketing strategy should have you well prepared for this. Yeah. You know, earlier in your business planning, you would have, you know, done out a marketing strategy. You should be taking all of this into consideration at that point and then tweaking it as you go along. Your brand identity should be also strong enough to resonate with the consumer as you've already planned. And then you will have also planned your marketing routes and your budgets around this. So, Really, when it comes to this stage and your collection is ready, your marketing strategy should also be ready to yeah. go. It's one of the things that you would be doing simultaneously. At the very beginning with the business. Plan. Yeah, exactly. What do you think about exactly. social media now, Instagram? There's a lot of people that are selling through Instagram. 
they don't even bother to go to the shops anymore. They're doing everything digital. What do you think about all this? Well, Instagram is certainly very, very strong. And I mean, it has been for a while and looks like it's going nowhere. But at the same time, a cert- it's, a, it's for a certain type of product as well. Sometimes products don't resonate so well on it. You know, it's very, it's very stylized Instagram and the things that tend to work on it tend to be the more stylized products or ones that photograph very strongly. You could have beautiful products that just need to be kind of in a more organic environment and it maybe it's too busy looking for Instagram. So you do have to choose your... I suppose, choose your routes to market kind of cleverly as well. And that all ties back to the type of product that you're you're producing. Yeah. If you're going to be selling in Instagram, make sure to have Instagrammable products, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> I mean, there's no point in wasting, you know, an advertising budget on uh, Facebook and Instagram if they're not working for you, if that's not where you're... And also your customers have to be on it. Yeah. You know, if Instagram is like Facebook is like a slightly older demographic now than mm-hmm. what Instagram is. Yep. And so if you are developing a product range for an older consumer, then Instagram is not the place for you. You know, no matter how beautifully a product photographs, yep. it's not the place for you because your customer is not there. Yeah. And actually, so right you now, have to think so of all of those social things. Social media that you really need to. Be a little bit selective because otherwise you get yourself mm-hmm. crazy if you're spread all across all the different social medias that are. Absolutely. I mean, uh, I think, you know, my opinion would be pick one or two and do those well. Yeah. You know, pick one or two marketing routes, do those really well. And if you can build from there, fantastic. And if not, just concentrate on those where your customers are, what is the social media that they are on mm-hmm. and just concentrate on those. Very true. I want to ask you something about uh, innovation because right now the the trend, but it's not really so new, but uh, it's still a trend, is eco-fashion mm-hmm. and ethically sourced garments. Yes, This yes. is really interesting right now. Everybody's talking about it. H&M did a collection. Uh, mm-hmm. It's actually doing a range, actually, that keeps on um, coming to the shops. What do you think will be next? Because this now is becoming the norm. And uh, for after sure. this, what is going to be coming? <laughs> so, well, actually, I don't think the ethical and sustainable fashion trends are going anywhere, to be yeah. honest. They should I become the norm. The... So then once they are the norm, what is going to be yeah. next? <laughs> I think, well, there it's only the tip of the iceberg, really. With that at the moment, I mean, there's a complete revolt internationally going on against fast fashion and the eco fashion ethically sourced all of that is all part of it and actually I think what's going to happen next is really just a subsidiary of that you know I I think the consumer is harking towards a less saturated less complicated life and I think that will be reflected in the type of products that people are going to start producing, mm-hmm. you know, maybe more simplistic, a little bit. It's kind of, I think people are craving in a way, even though we all love having lots of everything. I think people are also craving a little bit of simplicity mm-hmm. in their lives. And I think that does come down to your what clothing you have, what accessories you're buying, all of that. Everybody has too much of everything. Mm-hmm. And I do think that even the consumer is going to start, I, I think that's going to start turning on its head a little bit. And you'll see simpler products coming through. And that really is still a subsidiary of what's happening at the moment with the sustainable and ethical world. 
kind of like a slow fashion. <laughs> yes, the exactly. Opposite, right? I mean, there will yeah. always be a place for fast fashion and there's nothing wrong with it as long as what's being produced there is being produced ethically. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. there's always going to be people who want to buy and will need to buy that price point. There's mm-hmm. no no disputing that. But I suppose where the major issue is, is how it's being produced to get to that market and the margins that the companies are actually taking, you know, which is taking it away from the the manufacturers themselves. Eventually, don't you think it will lead to more luxury or luxury price garments at least? Yeah, well, there unfortunately that kind of also is a little bit of a byproduct of, you know, everybody trying to do eco fashion and ethically source this and that because Ultimately, the cost of producing a garment Mm -hmm. is higher than maybe sometimes what you pay in a kind of a fast fashion shop for it. But they're buying in bulk as well. So there is a lot of other issues involved. I mean, I suppose as long as people are being paid properly and treated properly to make clothing, Mm -hmm. then it's okay if if that product comes in at a lower price. But outside of that, it's not okay, you know. And like you say, that kind of does start leading itself naturally to a higher price point. But there there actually has to be a way. This I think this is actually where the struggle is, is going to be mm-hmm. because that's all great for those who can afford to buy yeah. a slightly better product and hold on to it for a couple of years or whatever it is they want to do and su- support sustainable fashion. That's fantastic for those who can afford it. And an awful lot of people can and that's wonderful and that will keep that side of the industry going but there's also a huge huge demographic of people who genuinely cannot afford to buy clothing that is in that price bracket so I think where retailers and manufacturers need to work together they need to find way whether it's by bringing down the margins that the retail that the fast fashion retailers have and to enable the, you know, people to be paid properly and yep. that manufacturing side of things for the money to go there. They have to find a way to produce, you know, an economically priced garment mm-hmm. ethically. Yeah. Yeah. I think that is, that's actually going to be the crux of it, I think, really. Yeah. Definitely. If something is too cheap, somebody's paying for it. You may uh-huh. not be the one, exactly. but somebody's exactly. paying for it. And, uh, yeah, normally in, in countries where... You know, maybe if the governments of those countries, India, Pakistan, which are amazing producers of garments, if they change mm-hmm. laws, maybe yeah. and if they put uh, regulations in place and stuff, that may change. And maybe it would be kind of like a, yeah, the norm. Absolutely. That, you know, everybody's and even, Exactly. And even re- even regulate the kind of pricing structure that fast fashion retail, retailers can get to mm-hmm. allow for, you know, things to be produced a little bit more ethically. Because unfortunately, you know, people do still need that price point because lots of people can't afford to buy something, you know, even in the accessible luxury market. True, very true. We need to start wrapping up this episode, but I want to know first, what do we need to do to join your masterclass? Because everything you said, it was so amazing. And I want to know, Ah, where is it taking place and, and when is it taking place? Okay, so it is on May the 11th and 12th. It's been held in the College of Fashion and Design Mm -hmm. in the Business Bay in Dubai. And you can find out more about it and you can book on www.morrisfashionconsultancy.com.
dot com. Okay. So you'll find all of the information, the booking structures and all of that on there and there is an early bird price which is available until april 10th only mm -hmm. so and that is Looking pretty away. much half price mm -hmm. so if you go on you can book that and it's available up until april the 10th and after that it will revert to the original price okay. so, so i'll make sure i leave value. the link in the article for every one of you that wants to read it and connect with mora and with the course if you have designer friends share the article and the podcast with them make sure they don't miss this very useful and practical masterclass because we have seen she knows a lot about all these mora as a fashion consultant how can our audience get in touch with you Thank you. Um, so they can get in touch with us via the website or they can email info at morrisfashionconsultancy.com mm -hmm. and uh, one of us will get back to you. So no problem. And anything small or large that you want to discuss, please do get in touch and we'll be happy to help you. Thank you so much. It has been a real pleasure having you in uh, Dubai's Fashion News Podcast. Thank you so much for all the information. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Araceli. Thank no. you so much. It was lovely to speak to you and I hope this was helpful for whoever is listening. Oh, definitely. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Thank you. Bye-bye. Take Maura. care. Bye. Bye-bye. So that was our interview with Miss Maura Morris. I really enjoyed talking to her. She knows a lot about how the fashion industry works and she is a great communicator. I am sure the masterclass is going to be awesome. Actually, after the interview, I decided I'm definitely going to join her. So um, I'm so looking forward to soak in all this knowledge. I'm a bit nerdy, you can tell. <laughs> I prepared an article together with the podcast with all the topics we spoke about. And you will be able to find information about the masterclass and about everything we spoke really here. So if you want to join me, please feel free to do so. I'm going to be sharing this also with some friend designers that I think are really needing desperately the extra hand when it comes to run the business side of fashion. So I hope you enjoyed the interview as much as I did. I see you in the next podcast, which will be in 15 days. But before that, I wanted to thank you for being there. You guys made my day with your comments and emails. And, you know, I've been some months away because of my mommyhood and I'm really, really blessed to be back. Now, of course, it comes my call to action. If you like the interview, hit the subscribe button and give Dubai Fashion News, the podcast, your five-star rating on iTunes. Why? Because your five-star ratings allow this podcast to grow and get more visibility within iTunes. And don't forget to leave a comment. Your feedback is super important for me. I want to know your thoughts to keep on improving. Also, subscribe to our digital magazine, DubaiFashionNews.com. There you can find a tab with all the past podcasts in case you want to catch up or if you missed any when they air. If you want to communicate with me, come to the podcast or share your story. Just if you want to meet me, send me an email to hello at DubaiFashionNews.com or use your Facebook or Instagram accounts. It's just Dubai Fashion News easy wheezy thank you and see you in the next podcast